0: Welcome to Body Peace Collective. If you are feeling tired and worn down from the constant pressure to shrink, grow, tone, manipulate, or alter your body in any way, then I am so glad you are here. I'm Erin Palmer. I'm an exercise scientist, fitness instructor, mother, and a total sucker for good food. And I created Body Peace Collective to be a place for you to come and gain perspective and learn powerful tools to help you establish a healthy, respectful relationship with your body so that you can put your valuable energy into things that truly matter. You don't have to waste a single minute more trying to make your body be what you think everyone else wants it to be. You can get started on your journey to body peace right now. Hey, you guys. Did you know that this is four weeks in a row that I have released a podcast on Tuesday? Are you guys surprised? Because I kind of am. (laughs) No, I'm not surprised. This was the plan. I told my husband when we got back, um, we were visiting my family for about a month in January, and I told him when we got back, I said, I'm just going to commit to consistency. Some podcasts might be better than others, but I'm just going to commit to releasing something every Tuesday. And I'm doing it, guys. This is week four. So I'm feeling excited about that. I hope that you're feeling excited about that and that this is something that um, helps you, I think, to kind of just refocus and remember some of these ideas about your body and these truths about your body that we can often forget, especially throughout the week. I think that one of the biggest things for me and one of the things I try to work on with clients is it's really, really powerful to have consistent reminders. So whether you have people in your life or podcasts you listen to or books that you're reading or meditations that you do, something that is consistent within your life to kind of help um, reorient you each week, I think is really, really important. So thank you for listening. I'm grateful to be one of those people for you. Um, That is a huge, that's a huge honor for me to be a part of this journey with you because I know that this journey can be hard, um, and it can be sacred. So thank you for letting me be here for a part of that. Today in our episode, episode sixteen, we're going to be talking about when body positivity can be a bad thing. And you might be thinking, when, how, how could body positivity ever be a bad thing? And I'm gonna, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about what we could maybe do or focus on instead of body positivity. So. There has been kind of an evolution of body positivity, at least over the last 10 years that I've been aware of it. And I think 10 years ago, it wasn't very common. It wasn't something that we talked about very often. It just wasn't really in the social narrative very much. And then I think social media came about and gave a platform to lots of people and people started realizing wait, there are these parts about body, like bodies and diet culture that are yucky, right? That we disagree with and we kind of want to fight back. And so by doing that, they kind of swung the pendulum very far the opposite way, which I think is necessary at times. However, as they swung this pendulum towards body positivity, we kind of ran into some problems and and now diet culture is actually kind of hijacking body positivity, whereas I think originally it was this this beautiful movement um, of women in larger bodies, especially people of color who don't fit the who genetically don't fit the white waif like. Um, model bodies that are kind of being sold to us by social media. And so these women worked really hard to create this body positivity movement. But then, like I said, diet culture kind of came in and hijacked it. And you can see examples of this all over. Um, One that's very common is like the dove commercials. And I don't know if you remember, you know, they celebrate Bodies of different sizes and they celebrate cellulite and they talk about being beautiful you, you know, like owning who you are. But if you watch these these commercials, there still is a very rigid type of body that they allow to be in these commercials, right? There are certain things about a body that are considered to be acceptable even within this body positivity movement, and so that's a perfect example of how how diet culture or or the media has taken this idea of body positivity and said like, yeah, we'll give you a little bit, a little bit of that, but we're still going to hold on to these really tight, rigid ideals. And that that can be dangerous. Other ways that you can see body positivity maybe missing the mark is all of the before and after pictures. And underneath these before and after pictures people always make sure to say why both pictures are good, why both in the before and the after are both good bodies. But here's the thing. Why are you doing a side-by-side comparison if they both are good? (laughs) Why can't you just post a selfie and say what you've learned through your experiences? Why do you need to compare, right? So it's this idea of we're being body positive. We're saying that both bodies are good bodies, But yet there's this underlying current that they're not. Otherwise, we wouldn't be comparing them. So we also see body positivity being misconstrued in the form of like nude photographs or partially nude photographs or pictures of cellulite and scars and rolls that are used online as an effort to be body positive. But here's the problem. Body positivity is still inherently focused on your body right? Post these pictures and don't comment on your body at all. Telling everyone that you are proud of your tiger stripes is fine, but I think that truly feeling body peace means that you post the picture and you don't even mention your tiger stripes because you know that they legitimately don't matter. I think we also think of body positivity as, I love my body. See, I wear a bikini and I don't care what anybody else thinks, but then you spend the whole day thinking of how you are sticking it to the diet industry and to, the, and to other people instead of actually being in your body and experiencing your own body. So the underlying problem of all of these examples is that when we're focused on our body and how it appears to others, even if we're expressing the parts of our body that we love, we are still observing our body from the outside in. You are a spectator to your own body. And people already define us way too much by our bodies. And so when you're calling specific attention to your body instead of to yourself as a whole complete being, you're just reaffirming that objectification. John Berger, he was an, he was an English art critic and a poet and a writer. And he wrote a book that's called Ways of Seeing. And I want to read just a small excerpt of that that is very poignant. He said, a woman must continually watch herself. She is almost continually accompanied by her own image of herself. While she is walking across a room or while she is weeping at the death of her father, she can scarcely avoid envisaging herself walking or weeping. And so she comes to consider the surveyor and the surveyed within her as the two constituent yet always distinct elements of her identity as a woman. Thus, she turns herself into an object and most particularly, an object of vision, a sight. When our focus is on our body, instead of our whole self and our being, even if that focus is positive, it turns us into an object. So instead of being body positive, I like to think of being body neutral. And that doesn't mean that I don't love my body. I do love my body. I love her for being a vessel of my feelings and my experiences. But instead of loving her like a hot high school boyfriend that I'm excited to show off, I love her like I love my husband. It's a feeling of deep respect. And I'm aware of her shortcomings and I'm aware of her failures, but I still respect her by feeding her and giving her rest. I don't make her earn those things. And and I feel grateful for her anyway even with her shortcomings, even where she lets me down. And I don't love her all the time. Sometimes, like I said, sometimes she does let me down, but I still show love to her, just like I would show love to my spouse, who also lets me down sometimes. It's a deeper body neutrality is rooted in respect. And just how you would respect another human being, regardless of whether how much they were like you or how much they measured up to your expectations of them showing respect is a great way to be body neutral right to say i don't need i don't need to love my body but i don't need to hate her either right i can just allow her to be exactly as she is right now i think sometimes we think that we can achieve Body neutrality or even body positivity using affirmations like, I am beautiful exactly the way I am. But to that, I want to say, why do you need to be beautiful? Why is that a requirement for your body? Who do you owe that beauty to? And what are your ideas of beauty? And where did they come from? When we allow ourselves to be body neutral, all of a sudden, it kind of breaks down these walls of what our body should and shouldn't look like, and we're allowed to just be exactly as we are, and there's something really incredibly freeing and empowering in that moment. Some of you, for one reason or another, the idea of being able to love your body seems so far out there that it almost feels impossible, and Maybe you have felt betrayed by your body or severely held back by your body. Or maybe you feel like your body is just so far from the societal norm that you can't give yourself permission to love your body because the world isn't giving you permission to love your body. So I say that instead of focusing on loving your body, instead of trying to get all the way there, start by just working to feel neutral in your body. So how do we do that? We do that by deconstructing and then reconstructing our own body image through embodiment and personal experiences. So what is embodiment? Embodiment is owning our own physical experience. It's being present and aware of what this moment in time feels like in our bodies, not for our bodies. As women, we begin to disembody ourselves very early. We're we're taught very early on that it's our job to look pretty and to look nice. And we can see this even in the way that we dress little boys and little girls, right? Boys are given permission to be messy and dirty and to wear comfortable pants that they can run around and jump in and play and climb fences and climb up slides, right? But girls always kind of are expected to be clean and put together with a bow in their hair, her hair done nicely. There's not that same there's not that same freedom to be a child and to kind of be wild. And what that does is that from a very young age teaches our daughters that they are objects to be looked at, that that how they appear on the outside matters. And that's a way to be measured. That's something that I've tried as soon as I realized that, that's something that I've tried really hard with my girls to make sure that in the morning they get dressed and that they're wearing something that they feel comfortable in. And when they ask me, my, my second child, she doesn't care. She never asks me what I think about her clothes. But my oldest, she does. She does. She says, does this look good? And I always respond by saying, does that feel good? Will you be able to do the things you want to do today wearing that outfit? And then she makes that choice and makes that decision. But I used to fight them on making sure their hair looked nice. And now I just say, as long as their face is washed off and their hair is brushed, they can do it however they want, right? Or they can not do it at all. But I'm trying to let them, I'm trying to, in my own life and in raising them, deconstruct that idea that... They are objects to be looked at, and that that's an important part of who they are. I've been reading this book called More Than a Body by Beauty Redefined. It's by two sisters, Lexi and Lindsay Kite, and they received their PhD in body image and the media. And this book is phenomenal. I would highly, highly recommend this book to anyone who is struggling with body image. And in this book, they talk about this thing that's called the male gaze and male gaze was invented in like the 1970s. I believe I should double check, but I'm pretty sure it was the 1970s. And it's, it's a description of how the camera is used to create the viewer's experience. And so it's called the male gaze because of the way that it frames a woman's body and the way that it looks up and down her body with the camera. And it's all coming from the perspective and the viewpoint of a heterosexual male. And like I said, it's there's a name for it. It's called the male gaze. And it's our media. We don't realize because sometimes we're just passive viewers to, you know, we're just looking at the TV and the person who filmed the show or the movie is the one who really kind of created and manipulated our experience, how we would view and how we would see the things that were happening on the screen. And they did it in a way that objectifies women in a huge way. Isn't that crazy that we as women have learned to view and analyze our own bodies from a perspective of a heterosexual male we haven't even been able to create our own expectations and standards for ourselves but it's not just it's not just what we watch it's not just what the, the media that we consume that is an image and a standard that we apply to ourselves and to the women around us all the time we learn to see our bodies from the outside in instead of experiencing our bodies from the inside out And that's what I meant by deconstructing and reconstructing our own body image through embodiment and personal experience. Embodiment is learning to experience your world through the lens of your own body, not through the lens of people observing you in your body. So they give several examples of what this looks like for women in their book, um, Lindsay and Lexi Kite give several examples and I'm going to read through them and I want you to pay attention to if you've ever done these or if you connect with any of these they said as self-objectification creeps into your life your identity is split in two instead of your whole embodied thinking feeling self you become a distant observer during a lunch meeting with a coworker, you find yourself being interrupted by your worries about holding in your stomach Whether your coworker will notice if you've lost or gained weight, how your body looks in your chair to the people sitting behind you, and whether this lighting is doing you any favors. You schedule an hour to hit the gym, and as you're on the treadmill, you become distracted by what you look like in the mirror facing you as you tug and adjust your clothing, and you wonder what the person on the machine behind you is seeing as you run. You are detached and self-conscious during intimate moments with your partner rather than being present and passionate, regardless of how positive or enthusiastic they are about you. You slip outside yourself, observing your body from afar countless times each day. This mental picturing leads to constant evaluation and monitoring of your body, in which you prioritize an outside perspective of yourself rather than your own first-person perspective from the inside. It leaves you disconnected from your own joy, pleasure, focus, full capabilities, and fulfillment. What's so crazy about that statement is I think that there's not a woman on earth that couldn't connect with at least one part of those examples that they gave. So I was reading this book while we were in Hawaii visiting my family, and I've done a lot of work. You guys know that. I've done a lot of work for several years to learn to see myself as more than a body. I've done a lot of work to make peace with my body and to make peace with food and I really felt like I was doing a good job. And I think that there are lots of times that I am doing a really good job. But as I was reading this and learning more about this self-objectification, about observing ourselves from the outside in, I decided I was going to start paying really close attention to when and if this happened in my life. And one of the moments, there were two, and I'll share both of them. One of them was my four-year-old turned five. Well, we were in Hawaii and my youngest brother, he works at a zip line there. And so for her birthday, that's what, that was her request was she really wanted her uncle Tanner to take her on the zip line. And so of course I accompanied her and so did some of her aunties and uncles and her sister. And we went and we did these awesome zips and there's this one zip line that's really long and you have the opportunity in the middle if you want to to just flip upside down and you're just flying over this beautiful lush green jungle, right? And the ocean, you can see the ocean from the platform. So I go and I, I, I jump off the platform and I'm zipping. And as soon as I get to where you can flip upside down, I do, I flip upside down. And as I flip upside down, all of a sudden I feel my shirt come up and I feel my bare skin. And I feel my stomach that's had three babies. And my immediate thought goes to, what do I look like right now to the people on the platform standing back there? Instead of being in that moment on that zip line, flying over the jungle, feeling the wind in my face and just feeling the energy and the excitement of being upside down and just being free I put myself in a prison, right? A mental prison of all of a sudden, instead of being in my body and experiencing that, I was seeing my own body from the outside in. And I realized, okay, there's one of those moments that I did it. And I caught myself quickly and I immediately went back to what it felt like in that moment to be flying over the jungle. But I thought about that. I thought about how easy that was for me and for my mind to make that jump from the zip line to the platform. Another time I did it, I was on the beach with my kids. And I've worked really, really hard to put on a swimsuit and then not think about it, not think about what other people are thinking and to not be worried about sucking my belly in. You know, I just have worked really hard to be just at the beach and be there. But my kids, I don't typically run at the beach in my swimsuit. And my kids, we were playing a game and – I was running with them, and I, as I'm running, I'm seeing my thighs moving, and I'm seeing inertia and momentum working on my thighs. And all of a sudden, I did the same thing. I thought, what do I look like to the other people at the beach who, are, who could be observing me running with my children, right? And once again, I came back to myself and said, hey, wait a second. <laughs> What's happening here, right? And I allowed myself to come back to my own body. One of the ways that we can deconstruct our current body image is by learning about the false narratives and ideas that we've been told about our bodies and also to recognize when we are self-objectifying so that in that moment, we can reconstruct our thoughts based off of our lived experience in the moment. So that's kind of what what I did on the zipline and also on the beach, right, is I was able to recognize okay, I don't want to think this way. I don't want to be observing my body from the outside in. I want to be feeling my body and living in my body every moment. So as soon as I noticed that moment, I then could reconstruct my thoughts based off of my lived experience. What did it feel like in that moment to be flying above the jungle or to be playing with my children. I felt I felt joy. I also felt burning in my legs because running on sand is hard, right? But I was able to feel my body again, right? I was able to reconstruct and to say, right, I'm running and I'm moving and this movement in my thighs and in my muscles is normal because my body is moving exactly the way it's supposed to be moving right now. I was able to reconstruct that moment. So for me, like I said, on the zip line, I realized I wasn't actually uncomfortable. The harness was cutting into my stomach and my legs were bulging, but it actually didn't physically feel uncomfortable at all in any way. The only discomfort that I felt for that little second was the shame that I was choosing to feel as I saw myself from the view of the people on the platform. So another example of deconstructing and then reconstructing is with food. So I have some friends that we eat dinner with them a lot. And I started to notice after a little while that I ate a lot more than them. In fact, I ate a lot more than her and her husband. <laughs> and I started to feel a little bit embarrassed about it, like wondering, like, am I am I, kind of a pig? I don't know. Like, do I eat too much? Am I – like, what's wrong with me is what I kind of thought about. Until an example of reconstructing is to say, okay, pay attention right now to how you feel in this moment. Are you still hungry, Erin? Did you eat too much food to the point of discomfort? No, I didn't. I felt really good. I felt really comfortable in my body, which means that that amount of food that I chose to eat was the right amount of food for me, and it didn't matter whether it was the right amount of food for them, right? It was the right amount of food for me. But it took it took coming back to myself, right, to my personal lived experience. And then reminding myself that that's what mattered. And that's how we do it. That's how we deconstruct and reconstruct our body image and our experiences. It's one experience at a time. Until over time we build these data points and we come to know ourselves and our bodies in a way that there's a deep relationship of respect and trust. My challenge to you this week is to pay attention to the moments where you start self-objectifying, the moments when you step outside your body and you are observing your body from the outside in instead of from the inside out. That might happen when you're standing in the mirror and putting on makeup. That might happen when you're trying on outfits. That might happen when you walk past a mirror or a window on your way to work or to school. That might happen when you are riding in the car And you feel parts of your body that maybe you weren't aware of before as, as you put on your seatbelt or as you move in a different way. Okay. It might be when you're at the gym and you're thinking, what do I look like to the people around me? My challenge to you is in those moments to come back to yourself, right? To come back to what does my heart feel like in this moment beating in my chest, can I feel it? What does, what does my breath feel like in this moment? What are the feelings that are present in my body? Where are those feelings present? Do I feel them in my stomach? Do I feel them in my chest or my shoulders or my throat or my fingers? Right? Coming back to your body and then asking yourself, you know, checking in with yourself and saying, do I feel like an idiot, right? You might think, I must look like an idiot. But then you can say, do I feel like an idiot? Because no, I actually feel in control of my body right now. I feel really good. I feel adrenaline. I feel endorphins. Or I feel really comfortable, right? So it's 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 challenging those ideas and challenging those thoughts, but challenging them from your personal lived experience within your body. Your body is the greatest instrument and tool, it is your only instrument and only tool to experience your life. But when we live critiquing ourselves from the outside in, we literally miss out on experiencing our life. Isn't that crazy? We're living in like a zombie state when we do that, and we're missing out on so much of the beautiful embodied experiences that are ours to have and that were designed for us to have in our bodies. So that's my challenge to you this week, is to pay attention to those moments and to reconstruct them. Reconstruct them by using your body as your teacher. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your day. I want to let you know that I'm going to be continuing this conversation a little bit more on Instagram this week. So if you have more questions or you want to hear more and dive a little bit deeper on my Instagram, I'll be posting some stories and some posts and giving, giving you an opportunity to ask questions if you'd like. But I think that engaging in this conversation with other women is really powerful because I think it helps us to see ourselves and others, but also to find connection and to find Kind of a little circle of women to help us as we try to work harder at being fully embodied. The last thing I wanted to say too was I'm going to be opening up some coaching spots in March. So if that is something that you're interested in, if you're if you're one of those people that's like, okay, I've read intuitive eating, or I want to read intuitive eating, or I'm I feel a desire to improve my body image, but I just I'm having a hard time making that jump. Like I kind of know what I'm supposed to do, or I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Either way, if you're feeling like that's something that you want to do and you want a little bit more help, I'm your girl. So if that's something you're interested in, please DM me on Instagram, aaron, to, or aaron Palmer or Body Peace Collective, either one. They're the same account. Um, You can DM me there, or you can reach out to my email at aaron at bodypeacecollective.com. So I would love to hear from you if that is something that you're interested in. Have a great, great day, and we will see you here next Tuesday. Bye.